Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Justin Rowan, welcome back to the Celtics Blog Podcast. I gotta say, I came into the trade deadline saying one thing and one thing was certain. That even though the Celtics probably wouldn't do anything, the Cavaliers would be way too cash-strapped, cap-strapped to do anything. The Raptors would be in the same boat. I didn't see either of them having any flexibility to do any moves unless they were going to part with the Brooklyn pick or Kevin Love, which seemed unlikely. But here we are. The Cavaliers have a whole new roster. So what better way to celebrate that than talking about it here with you? We all, <laughs> we all saw the deals flying through on the screen as Woj uh, blew up the Twitter feed around 12 o'clock my time. What, what was going through your mind when you saw these moves come through? Well, at first, I was a little frustrated with the uh, the Lakers trade. I, I thought that the Cavs gave up too much uh, for that return. I do like the pieces they got back individually, and Isaiah Thomas was a cancer to the point that you just had to dump him no matter what it was for. Mm-hmm. If they couldn't find a trade, I, I would have advocated buying him out. But it, at, at the end of the day, when you look at the net return on what they traded out and what they received, it's hard to not be happy with this. I feel like it's a good middle ground for the team. They got a lot younger, more athletic, longer um, the guys that, that are much better defensively than the players they're replacing. So it, uh, it, it certainly is a, a big shift for the Cavs. And it's going to be interesting to see just how this team gels. Because as you said, this is a totally different roster than it was just 24 hours ago. Looking up and down the starting lineup, you got George Hill, J.R. Smith, LeBron, uh, for the foreseeable future, probably Larry Nance, and then uh, Tristan Thompson, of course. So by and far a better defensive lineup. It seems like these role players that they brought in are going to fit better around LeBron James. But uh, there's mixed reactions. I'm surprised. I mean, you dumped Isaiah, Fry, Rose, Crowder, and Shumpert, as well as Wade, with a uh, pair of picks. And then you're bringing in Hill, Clarkson, Hood, Nance. I feel good about that. These are good, underrated players who play both ends of the floor. But uh, I see people who are saying the uh, Cavaliers didn't get that much better. How much better do you think the Cavs got in this trade? I mean, it all depends on how this gels. This team has absolutely no chance of winning an NBA championship Mm. this season. So I think when when you see people say that, 
that's the measure that they're going by because that's the standard that the the Cavs have been held to over the last few years. Trying to match the talent of the Warriors is one thing, but matching the talent and chemistry is a totally another. It's that's, a total different thing. Yeah. And the the Cavs don't have the talent, and they and they're not going to have the chemistry. Um, but while I, I do think that they're they're probably. Well, as I said, they're they're not winning the championship, but I I think they increase the likelihoods of e- even getting to the finals, which was the important thing and was a legitimate question. I mean, uh, prior to the deadline, I was picking Toronto to make it out of the East. Um, I still might go that route, but it, it remains to be seen exactly how the the Cavs gel and, and what they look like come playoffs. Interesting. So Isaiah Thomas is out there. That was really not fun for you from the start. Like the second his name dropped on the roster, I felt like uh, misery began for you. And uh, I guess you were right. They only gave him 15 games, even though they said they were going to be patient. But um, nevertheless, there were uh, <laughs> there was infighting there. There was bad play going on there. Uh, what do you think? You know, you called him a cancer. What do you think the mm-hmm. biggest issue was? Was it the feuding with Ty Lue that we saw a few days ago, or was it just a bad play on the floor? The the thing with Ty Lue isn't anything. Like I think coaches are are used to having some negative feedback. There were times where he had criticized even Stevens. Um, obviously, I Brad do Stevens remember had, that. Yes. Obviously, Brad Stevens had done a much better job than Ty Lue has this season. But no, I, I think if Isaiah was playing this poorly and he just kind of kept his mouth shut, he might still be on this team. Uh, but it really didn't take long uh, for LeBron. It, it took, as Brian Windhorst reported on the low post, it took him days uh, after Isaiah like entered the lineup for him to just genuinely hate him. Um, <laughs> and and when reporters would ask him, "Hey, your shot's not really falling. Are are you going to change?" Because when he's out there, he, he had like I think he had about thirty three percent usage rate, one on the floor with uh, LeBron and Love, and like that's that's not what you need when you're you're working your way back in the lineup and he said basically hey you traded for me to to you know knew who i was i'm handling the ball on every possession and i'm taking shots every possession and um that just was not a fit for what this team needed even if he did get back to last year's form that type of play when you're playing alongside two all-stars just was never going to work out so between that uh, him going after Kevin Love in the locker room, leaking stuff to the reporters. I mean, Adrian Wojnarowski never had a voice in the Cleveland locker room where someone feeding him stories, and then all of a sudden Isaiah's there, and, and Woj is getting all these stories. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that was a source of frustration, and it, it was just it, it was an awful, awful fit from a personality standpoint. He tried his best to derail the project there, but they got him out just in time. The secret plot <laughs> didn't, didn't work yeah. out as Danny Ainge thought it would. There, there are a number of players. I think it's very telling which players were sent out of there. Thomas in particular. Um, Crowder goes out along with them. Amon Shumpert, wow. Like, <laughs> he was one of the guys I looked at and said, like, these, this is the reason they're not going to be able to move anybody. Like, no one's going to want a player like Shumpert. They, took some, they got someone to take Dwayne Wade. Of course, it was the Heat. That was probably the only team that was going to take Dwayne Wade. But uh, they got him out of there. And, well, I mean, I, I think teams, for the asking price, which was literally nothing, it's a heavily protected second-round pick that is never going to convert. I, I think teams would take Wade as long as he wanted to resume the, the role that he was playing in Cleveland because Wade had been great for this team. He, 
he just isn't the Dwayne Wade people are used to. He was great in that backup point guard role, but if he wanted a bigger role, which I, I don't know if that was the case, that then that's a different story. But he, he had played really well, and uh, I don't have many bad things to say about Wade. And that was just doing him a favor at that point, saying, hey, we have these deals lined up. We got Jordan Clarkson. Jetty Osmond's going to be getting more minutes. George Hill's going to be playing uh, starting point guard. So there just wasn't a role for him. So they, they did him a favor by sending him to Miami. There we go. Question answered. It's amazing. I'm just going to say this real quick before we get on the next topic. Like, it is amazing how LeBron James teams just find a way to shake up the roster. Like, he will find suitors for these guys. He will find a way to make things change. Like, every single year I look at his team and say, like, there's no way they're going to be able to shake this up. And then the whole roster changes. Like, this was the most trades on one deadline day since his team did it in 2008. And I'm yeah, sure. I was going to say, it's not even the most he's ever been a part of with the Cavs. <laughs> Do you remember that day? How did these two days compare? Well, I don't remember that day as well because I wasn't as plugged in as I am now. Like, I, I obviously, Twitter wasn't a, a huge deal, or I wasn't on Twitter yet at that point. But I remember just kind of looking at the... the that must have been the Jameson year, right? No, no, no. 2008 um, was the year that at, at the deadline they acquired Delonte West, Wally Zerbiak, uh, Big Ben Wallace... Uh, Joe Smith and uh, they sent out Larry Hughes and, and I think Damon Jones. I, I can't remember who all was involved in that. That was what kind of set up that that awesome playoff series in 2008 between Cleveland and Boston, mm-hmm. where Delonte West took over the the starting point guard roles. Zerbiak uh, he hadn't hurt his back yet, so he was still valuable. Ben Wallace played well for them for a little stretch, uh, but no, the the Jameson deadline was two years after and. That was a straight-up trade for Ilgalskis, who ended up getting bought out and coming back to the Cavs. And <laughs> the league had to change the rules because of that. <laughs> oh, man. So let's see what the uh, Cavaliers got. I mean, George Hill, lots of money on that deal, but a good fit, I think. Uh, Rodney Hood going to be uh, do a qualifying offer this summer, so they're going to have to do the whole restricted free agent thing with him. But I think he can rotate in for LeBron if he's healthy, play some good minutes there. Larry Nance, of course, is going to be love until love comes back, and then he'll be part of that front court rotation. How do you think these pieces fit in? I, they certainly are not the worst team in the NBA defensively anymore. That backcourt, I, I think, is actually very quality defensively right now. And then the front court should at least be uh, able as long as LeBron's playing at a you know fifty percent rate at least. What, what do you think of the makeup of this team now? You know, you said they weren't going to compete with the Warriors. I think they at least now have the lineups to actually like be able to play that game. Oh, absolutely, and, and I think this sets them up better for the future as well because they they kept that Brooklyn pick, which right now is tied for fifth best lotto odds, and like I think a game and a half out of best lotto odds. And the Nets have been the second worst team over the last eighteen games in terms of uh, net rating. So, but yeah, they they got a lot longer. Uh, George Hill, as you said, that's a great fit defensively. Larry Nance, I think he's going to play a lot of um, small ball five with the second unit. Kind of that pace, uh, pace and space lineups. Oh, he's like going to be run great with LeBron. with LeBron. He is going to be oh, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, as long as you surround those two with shooters, that that's pretty dynamic. Actually, uh, Mike uh, Zavanago, I'm butchering his last name, and I apologize for that. But on uh, Fear the Sword, he wrote kind of a, a piece on how Nance fits, and he's not a great rim protector at all. Um, he gets a little jumpy on defense, uh, but he leads all uh, big men in steal rate. 
He's an elite offensive rebounder, one of the best uh, finishers in transition in the NBA. Those are things that are all very positive, and, and his transition defense is very good as well, which was an area where the Cavs were just god-awful and like unimaginably bad. Uh, so that obviously improves. Rodney Hood, you'd like to see a little more consistency out of him on the defensive end, but still a lot better than what they currently had. Uh, 6'9 shooting guard, that, that's length that you want to have. Jordan Clarkson's going to bring them scoring off the bench. Fit the role that probably would have been best suited for Isaiah Thomas, and, and he's probably going to do it at a higher level than Thomas would this year. So I, I think they got a lot better. The, the big, big question now is just what Kevin Love are you getting back when he, he's coming back just weeks before the playoffs and, and how the team's going to gel. One, after the All-Star break and once all these guys are are it worked into the lineup and then again we're trying to adjust on the fly when Kevin Love comes back. I'm not so much worried about gelling because I think these are guys who are used to playing role player roles and that only becomes easier around James. Um, so I'm not, you know, I, I saw Snotty Drippin and others saying on Twitter that they're concerned about the amount of time that's left until the playoffs. I'm not so much. It's still LeBron. It's still uh, the Cavaliers, and Kevin Love will be back by that time. And, and they had zero chemistry before the trade deadline, yeah. so it's not like it's not like they scrapped only, anything that was good. Even if it's zero, it's better than negative. I'm almost wildly impressed with what they were able to pull off. Kobe Altman really just made a name for himself at this deadline, making a lot out of nothing. And I'm wildly impressed with what they've been able to do with the roster in the context of this year. And I think they're the prohibitive favorites out of the East again. That's going to be tough for uh, Celtics people to hear, but this team is very well constructed for what LeBron needs at this moment. My big question is, what does this mean for them going forward? Because if, like you said, their ceiling on this team is only just the finals and losing again... I'd be concerned. I, how does this change your vision of whether LeBron stays or leaves? Because if he leaves, I know you get the Brooklyn pick, but there is a lot of long-term money you don't want to deal with with these players if LeBron is not here. Yeah, I mean, if he does leave, obviously it becomes a teardown. You 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 try to flip Kevin Love for some long-term assets. But will um, LeBron stay? I, I think he is. Um, really? At this, from everything I've heard, he was ecstatic with how yesterday went. Um, they, they did actually run some things by him. I, I think there's a few other things that are coming down the pipeline in the coming weeks that, that, that'll also kind of make the situation a little clearer. Not to be Freddie foreshadowing there, but um, I, I think that he his intention has always been to stay. And unless the team gave him a reason to leave, um, he was going to do everything possible to stay. I, I don't think he wants to go out west. Uh, he, he wants to continue making finals and keep that streak going. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Cavs do in the summer. With with the draft coming up, Like I, as, as much as it'd be exciting to add one of those kind of six great prospects in, in this year's draft, because those are the the top six to me are guys that I'm really excited about, and any of them would be great. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cavs use the Brooklyn pick on draft night, similar to how Minnesota did in, in acquiring Jimmy Butler, and uh, using that to to fill a need, whether it be a Rich Paul client and John Wall, where there's tensions in Washington and publicly feuding with teammates, or if it's a deal for someone like Kemba Walker, which I, I don't know. If would be the number one thing that they'd be trying to do or, or someone like CJ McCollum. Like I, I think that the, the names and the targets that they wanted to go after 
weren't available at the deadline, and that's something that they're going to explore uh, on draft night. So I think there's a lot of options here, and there just isn't a clear path for him to go to to another team and and form a new super team. Like Paul George is probably not in the move. Demarcus Cousins is hurt, so he's probably staying in New Orleans. Um, so you, there there just isn't the names available to to put two three stars together. Uh, in a different market and, and try to compete with the Warriors. I think this deal with the Lakers takes a big hit on that being a possible location as well. Interesting. If this deal means it's more likely LeBron stays, that's that's an even more devastating blow to the Celtics beyond the context of this season. But if we're just speak strictly speaking this year, you, you guys will be. You guys are getting Gordon Hayward back. He's one hell of a player. Like when he has that summer off, uh, Boston's going to be a damn nightmare like <laughs> like think think how like uh, right now i, I think Boston's i've heard about still, him yeah I, I've, I've heard good things about him i think boston right now is the second best team in the east behind toronto cleveland's third until they show me otherwise we'll, we'll see what that means come playoffs um but the fact that they're this damn good without gordon hayward who in terms of net impact might be their best player i i still I, I'm obviously a Kyrie guy. I'm I'm a big fan of of his work over the last few years. But the fact that you're adding a player of that caliber and the assets that Boston has to make other moves, like if LeBron does stay, um, I think what you should actually be a little bit excited about this because it looks like the the forming of a great rivalry over the next few years because Cleveland just got a bunch younger. They, they had the assets to kind of prolong LeBron's career and and maybe he can age gracefully in similar to how Tim Duncan did. How, how much fun would that be if we get like good three, four years of rivalry? That's here? what I'm talking about. And this lottery is going to be huge for that. And even the 76ers, for my 76ers people out there, this is a big draft for them too. With this lottery... It's the Cavs, it's the Celtics, and it's them. One of them's going to win big out of this group right now, and I think it only can be one who does win big out of this draft. The Nets are sitting at that seventh spot right now. Lakers are up to 11, hey, so that's hey, good hey, for hey. Philly. Tied, tied in the fifth spot in terms of games back. <laughs> I'm, I'm just reading what I see on the screen right here. Come on. <laughs> all right. All very right. tight, very tight up there in the lottery at this point. So it's the, it's the last... Great lottery where you have amazing odds if you are up in that one, two, three spot, but there's always that chance that you can jump up, and I think the Cavaliers are going to be banking on doing that again if the Nets do tread water. I will say, them not moving anyone was tough for you guys. Damari Carroll, they thought they might move him. Spencer Dinwiddie, if there was a deal for him out there, they they kept everything together, and they might be able to scrap out some more wins than everybody uh, anticipated beyond deadline day. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the the best news uh, there, I mean, uh, losing Tyler Zeller for nothing kind of hurts them a little bit, but that's not the end of the world. Jalil Okafor, if he's getting more minutes, that's going to hurt them. And, and the blessing is D'Angelo Russell's back. And, and the, the Nets are just so much worse with Russell on the floor, especially with the emergence of Dinwiddie. So uh, as long as they're taking possessions out of his hands, uh, it makes me feel a lot better. And, and basically, as I said, since... Russell came back uh, the the Nets have just been a, a total nightmare so uh, I hope that continues their schedule is pretty tough uh, outside of the Chicago game uh, they're they're playing teams with better records than them and, and playoff teams so uh, February there there's a legitimate chance that they don't win a game so 
Um, I know you know how painful it is to to box score watch and watch the Nets every night. And <laughs> I, I, I would have loved for a star player to be available so that I'd be uh, that burden would be off my shoulders. But that just didn't come to fruition. And I'm very happy that the, the Cavs didn't sell sell low on the Nets pick with uh, no names being available. Well, we got a big game coming up Sunday, Cavaliers-Celtics. If anybody's looking for tickets, I think the place to go is by and far SeatGeek. SeatGeek makes buying tickets to sports and concerts that can often be a complicated and confusing thing. So simple. You just open up the app right on your phone, look across all the seats in the stands. They give you a green if it's good, red if it's bad. doesn't get any easier than that. That's universal right there. So you're going <laughs> to find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. And there's nothing quite like seeing the Cavaliers and the Celtics on Paul Pierce night. So go over to SeatGeek. I got the SeatGeek app right on my phone. Every time I want to get tickets, it's the first place I go, and I can instantly find the seats I want. So it saves money, time, get more bang for your buck. And if you've never used it before, my listeners are going to get $20 off their first purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code Garden Report. That's one word, Garden Report. Today, promo code Garden Report for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Cavaliers Celtics is exciting on Sunday, Justin. But before we get out of here, I want to talk to you about the Raptors, who you seem to think are still big-time favorites in the East. They're not big-time, maybe just slight favorites in the East. Uh, right. they, they are good. They are good. I, don't, I think perception's killing them. I talk about perception a lot. We get these visions of what players are and what teams are over a course of a few years. And a team like the Raptors that really didn't change much isn't going to get the benefit of the doubt of being any different. But this year they are. They play great defense, amazing offense, top three offense in the league, and they are deep. We, the Celtics just played them the other day, and the bench that the Raptors have made the difference in that game. They've drafted well. They have flipped the system upside down. They're spreading. They're motioning out. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas is shooting threes. DeMar DeRozan is shooting threes. <laughs> I like what I see there. So from a Celtics perspective, I think people know what to uh, look for now that we've seen those two teams play. How do you think the Cavaliers match up with them? Um, I, I think that they took a, uh, a step in the right direction when it comes to how they match up against Toronto because what's worked in the past is trapping the hell out of Lowry and DeRozan and, and forcing other guys to make decisions. Uh, the problem is the, the Raptors, I, I think the last two years, they were like 29th and 30th in like total team passes. Like It was remarkable that they had an offense as good as they did uh, without moving the basketball, but that's completely changed this year. Uh, you have all these other guys that can initiate the offense. Fred Van Vliet, um, DeLon Wright. That DeLon Wright, but DeLon Wright, my God, that he has some of the best hands in the NBA. Like He's just so long, he can switch. He doesn't turn the ball over. Um, and, and they just have a lot more basketball IQ than they've had in past years. Um, so I think adding length is really important, and it's going to help them uh, match up better against Toronto. But, I mean, they're, they're a top-five team both offensively and defensively when it comes to um, their, their, their efficiency. And they, this is a different basketball team. They, they're smarter, they're longer, they're deeper, um, and they're, they're playing better basketball. So I, I know a lot of the names at the top are the same, um, but they've really done a good job using the G League, developing guys, and those guys are, are stepping up now. And... You're Canadian, as some people know. 
I want to ask you before we go, what do you think? How do you think the uh, Raptors finals would be for the NBA? Like, I know you know when the Spurs are in there, great team, but doesn't draw a lot of interest. How do you think Canada would react to a finals Raptors team, or even just the general NBA audience in general? Would it, changing it up from LeBron have a positive or negative impact? You think? Um, I, I definitely think it would be a rallying point. I, I think a lot of people up here just would love to see uh, Toronto on that stage. Um, there, there is like right now they're more of an Ontario team, like within their province. That's that's where you see a lot of the attention in Toronto. Um, outside of there, you you see more support for other teams because Toronto's kind of like the the New York of Canada. Like <laughs> there's a superiority complex that makes the, it tough for the rest of the country to relate. Um, but I, I still think it'd be something that they'd rally behind, similar to how the the country rallied behind the the Blue Jays when they're good uh, in baseball. And um, I, I do think it it would be very positive, especially if they do beat a Cavs team. Like, oh, beating LeBron in the playoffs, going to the finals, e- even if they get smoked by the Warriors, which they likely would, uh, that'd be a big, big time achievement for the that that franchise. Let's see what happens. Raptors, Cavaliers, Celtics, big race to the finish coming. And Justin Rowan's here to let us know all about the Cavs and Canada. You can follow him on Twitter at CavsNada. And he will continue to be a regular here on this show, I'm sure, as long as the Cavaliers and Celtics are both good. Unfortunately for you, Justin, if uh, LeBron leaves, we're probably never talking to you again. But uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy the times you were on here in the meantime. (laughs) Thank you, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And that is our show for today. Big, big episode coming uh, on Sunday morning, right before Celtics and Cavaliers. We're going to have Mike Petrelli and a special guest back on to talk about Paul Pierce's career and reminisce on the good old days of then from 1998 until 2013. So that is going to be a can't-miss episode here. I'm Bobby Manning for Justin Rowan and uh, all of CLNS Media and Celtics Blog. Thanks for being here with us, and we will see you for that episode. And be sure to subscribe to the Banners Broadcast on iTunes. Just type it in, Banners Broadcast iTunes, and you'll get it up right there. You can also get it on Stitcher and the CLNS Media mobile app. That is all for today. Good night, everybody, and thank you for listening. Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up, and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.